This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. It's found on page 241 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to follow along as I read. First Samuel 18, 1 to 14. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants." As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord. God, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Michael Prevatera. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, serve as a campus minister at Xavier University. Glad you're here this morning and add my welcome to everyone else's. Uh, I thought I'd begin today with some uh, cheesy quotes from the internet on friendship, which is what you usually do in these kind of situations. Uh, so here's an anonymous one. Um, a friend is one who overlooks your broken fence and admires the flowers in your garden. So nice, right? I wouldn't do that. I'd be a bad friend and tell you your fence is broken. But uh, from a, It's a Wonderful Life, the movie, classic movie, uh, no man is a failure who has friends, which is, I mean, I would, I would beg to differ with that one because you could still be a massive failure in life and have lots of friends. And then lastly, uh, friends joke with one another. Hey, you're poor. Hey, your mama is dumb. That's what friends do. Michael Scott from The Office. Uh, friendship, it is something we all want. It's something that so often eludes us, isn't it? Uh, and it's hard to have friends today. Actually, in, in 2017, the U.S. Surgeon General called loneliness our greatest epidemic. 
And that was three years before uh, a pandemic happened in 2020, right? That would only exacerbate and compound our loneliness as we isolated, quarantined, and socially distanced. None of that helped our loneliness epidemic, did it? And based on recent surveys, Americans report having fewer close friends than they once did, talking to friends less often, and relying on their friends less for personal support. Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, it sounds familiar in my life. In, uh, in 1990, so about 30 years ago, a quarter of Americans said they had fewer than three close friends. That was a quarter, right? 25% ago, 25% 30 years ago. Today, almost 50% report that they have fewer than three close friends. So really kind of rough statistics when it comes to friendship in America. And yet, we all know how important friendships are, right? We celebrate them in our, our movies, uh, in songs, right? You think of a toy story, you got a friend in me. Uh, and buddy comedies, and TV shows, right? We all want a close group of friends. Some of us have it, but according to surveys, 50% of us in this room don't. Well, we are continuing our series through the life of David today, and from David's life, we can learn a lot about what it means to be a, a man after God's own heart, or a woman after God's own heart, and what ultimately it means to be human. Today, we're thinking about the idea of friendship, Right? The necessity of friendship, the difficulty of friendship, and then the God of friendship. So let's dig in to this section from 1 Samuel 18. In verse 1 of this chapter, we read that the soul of Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul, was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan, we're told, loved David as his own soul. All right, we are picking up this story. If you remember, if you were here last week, uh, this is immediately after David's defeat of the Philistine giant Goliath. And because of that, Saul the king, because of David's victory, Saul the king decides to take David into his household. And Jonathan um, finds great love for David. He decides to make a covenant of friendship with him and give him his robe and weapons, uh, basically a sign of saying, hey, welcome to the family. You are my brother from another mother. And this love that Jonathan has for David, first of all, it isn't romantic. I want to just address that up front. It's, uh, it's philos, to use the Greek word. It's brotherly love. Uh, and sadly, in our cultural context, we don't have uh, a lot of categories for anymore for two men loving each other in a non-romantic way. That's, but that's more of a cultural problem than it is with the, the Bible, right? Because many other cultures have no issues with men expressing love for each other. That's non-romantic. For those of you young folks, that's a former president, George W. Bush, uh, with one of the Saudi kings, um, holding hands as friends. My Italian uh, grandpa, Prevatera, had no issue greeting other men in our family with a, a hug and a kiss on the cheek and a handshake. Uh, and I always remember that being so different from my, my mom's dad, my Grandpa Lehman, who was kind of German background, who when you went in for a hug would kind of awkwardly sort of get his arms around you. Uh, Paul the Apostle tells Christians to greet one another with a holy kiss, not just once, but four times in the scriptures. In other words, uh, don't read this relationship uh, between Jonathan and David as romantic. It's a, that's a category error. And to say that Jonathan loves David is, is to say in an ancient Hebrew cultural context that David and Jonathan have a deep brotherhood and friendship in a way that maybe looks different than what we're used to seeing in 2022 in the United States of America. And you know what? Uh, this, this 
is a deeply human need, this idea of friendship. It's actually woven into the fabric of creation. It's, it's a need for us. Because when God made the first man, Adam, if you think back to Genesis chapter 2, when God made Adam, he looked at the solitary individual and said, it's not good for man to be alone. About everything else in creation, God said it was very good. But about Adam by himself, God said it was not good. Dr. Kirk Thompson, a neuroscientist, has said, we all come into the world looking for someone looking for us. We all come to the world looking for someone looking for us. Think about that for a moment. What's the, what's the first thing a newborn baby needs? But to feel the embrace of his or her mother who is desperately longing to hold the child she's been carrying inside her for nine months. Right? We all come into the world looking for someone looking for us. And that is why things like solitary confinement is considered harsh punishment. That's why the first few months of COVID were so hard, because isolation means you are cut off from friends and community, uh, or even just bumping into people while you're outside for a jog or running errands. And yes, we have lots of technology that allows us to stay connected to one another, um, but it's not the same as real life, is it? When you FaceTime, you might feel like you're talking to a real person, but you're actually just responding to a 2D uh, delayed, low-resolution image of that person on your screen. When you are texting with a friend, you're actually just responding to words on a screen and not having a real-life conversation. When you follow a friend on social media, you're actually just looking at curated images and snapshots of moments in their life. In other words, all that stuff that connects us, while good and great technology, isn't real. Right? It's, it's rooted in the real, but it's not actually your friend you're talking to. You're talking to a simulation of a person, which is why I think we're never fully satisfied by virtual connection. FaceTime can never replace actual FaceTime. We need real friendships. They're good for all the parties involved in a friendship. And not only is friendship a need and, and good and, and part of woven into the fabric of creation, it also protects us. For example, uh, Jonathan, it says, delighted much in David. And Jonathan's delight and love was so good for David that it even saved his life. As the story will go on, we read a little bit of this here, but in the next few chapters, um, Saul, the king, will become increasingly erratic in his behavior and jealous of David's popularity, both with the people of Israel and also with his own children. Uh, and, and he'll become jealous of David's success and even his favor with God. And so David, Saul tries to have David killed six different times. And, he, and in at least one major occasion, Jonathan helps David to escape. So friendship can protect us. Friendship also sustains us. Right? Friendship uh, can be more powerful than romantic love even. Uh, upon Saul and Jonathan's death much later, David will say in his lament, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Uh, for those of you who are single, uh, remember that verse. It sounds weird when we read it in today's context, but what David is saying is that Jonathan's friendship was so great that it was even better than whatever romantic love he had in his life. You don't need romantic love to complete you, in fact, if you have great friends. And lastly, 
Friendship sanctifies us. Eugene Peterson writes, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of bread and water, friendship takes what is common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Jonathan's friendship with David was instrumental in making David the man after God's own heart that he was. Without Jonathan's friendship, in fact, David would never have been king. Uh, Without it, we might not have many of the Psalms that we we read in scriptures, because David wrote them. And some of the very foundations of Christianity would be non-existent without this friendship. I, uh, I think back to some of the times when God most grew me in just the faith and my own walk with the Lord, and it's been through friendships, to be totally honest. Right, uh, when in high school, I had, I had two groups of friends. I had my uh, non-Christian friends, and I had a group of Christian friends that I would kind of go back and forth hanging out with, and they didn't really get along, so we never, I think we tried hanging out once together and it went really weird. Um, I don't, you probably experienced that when you try to bring two groups of friends together. It gets odd. Anyway, um, but my... Uh, there was something about my Christian friends which was really different. At this point, I was sort of, I grew up in the church and I was sort of saying I was a Christian, but it wasn't really a big part of my life. And so I kind of fall, it was, we had fallen in this friendship through some classes we had, but, but um, I, I, there was something different about them. I didn't really get along with them on a lot of things, but we didn't fight. Uh, we were very different from each other, but we, we, we didn't fight. We talked about deep things. They loved me unconditionally, even though I was sort of on the edges of faith and, and not aligned with them at all theologically or politically at that point. Um, but if it wasn't for their friendship, I wouldn't be here today. Like, literally, I would not be here today. I wouldn't have gone to seminary. I might not even be a Christian because it was their friendship that brought me into the faith in an even deeper way. Uh, God used those friendships to grab me and make me love him even more. Right, some of you can think about friends in your life like that. And you know that God has used it. And so it's vital. It sanctifies us. It sustains us. It protects us. We're made for friendship. And yet, uh, if we're honest, we know that friendship is really hard sometimes, isn't it? And part of this is because we're all broken people who sin against each other. uh, And because of that, uh, it's hard to be friends. Certainly, uh, we're all sinners. So you can only be friends with sinners. Um, and that's a reality, but friendship is also hard because sometimes life has just a way of interfering with friendship. Uh, we see this in the friendship between David and Jonathan. Right? Jonathan had a very difficult choice to make uh, because David soon became his own father's enemy. Right? And Jonathan had to choose between faithfulness to his father or faithfulness to his friend. And Saul, at one point, essentially says to him, no son of mine is going to be friends with that David kid. He is a bad influence. And he, he uh, you know, insults not only Jonathan for his friendship, but also Jonathan's mom at that point. But David and Jonathan's friendship is tested by external circumstances. And yet Jonathan is faithful and helps his friend despite the challenge because it's right and good. Friendships also cost us things. Sometimes, right? We see this with Jonathan's friendship with David costs Jonathan the actual the right to inherit the throne. Right? Saul was king, and so technically Jonathan would have been next in line to be king. But remember, if you think back to the earlier chapters of First Samuel, God had already rejected Saul 
uh, and chosen David to be king. And, and Jonathan could see this. And Jonathan could have let David be killed, and then he'd be king. But he knew God was with David. And so he chose to sacrifice and give up that privilege to seek the good of his friend. Right? That's true, true for us, too. Sometimes friendship is more than a feeling. It's a choice and a choice that often costs us, whether that's time or vulnerability or money, sometimes other relationships, and maybe our own accomplishments. But it's worth it. And lastly, friendship takes work. This is part of the reason why it's hard. It takes work. Right? We all want to show up somewhere and be instantly accepted, kind of like David in the story, but that rarely happens, doesn't it? Uh, there's an element of risk to most of our relationships, and especially our friendships. Right? David risked his life before he was loved by Jonathan. And I'm not saying you need to go out and, and fight a giant or anything like that. But you do have to do something even harder. You have to risk letting yourself be really known. Or you may have to put in the work of reaching out to others, having people over, planning get-togethers, prioritizing friendship. And that's really hard sometimes. Friendship takes work. And I say that to you uh, as someone who's been married for 15 years with three kids um, and a job, uh, and I barely have time to watch movies anymore, so I get it that it's hard. If you've experienced that, I'm, I'm with you, um, especially if you have young kids. Sometimes kids and friends seem mutually exclusive, or kids and anything else seems mutually exclusive sometimes. But if for some reason you've figured this out to kind of balance all these things, I just want to, first of all, I want to congratulate you. That's amazing. But also I want to encourage you to invite others into that. Uh, I don't know what that looks like, but I would encourage you to widen your circle of friendships and show some of us who are struggling with that how it's done. Because we need models of that. We need to know um, what it looks like to have both friends and kids. That would be a real gift. It's just an encouragement to you. Uh, as a campus minister, though, I do worry um, because friendship does not appear to be getting easier. It's becoming more rare. I nowadays encounter more and more lonely students in my time on campus than, than I do students who have rich friend groups. Uh, even students who have lived with their best friends have told me that they're lonely, to which I usually respond, wait, I thought you lived with your friends. But they still tell me they're lonely. And the stories I hear from students tell of a generation struggling to connect, even when they're in the same room as a friend, and you can blame it on technology or COVID lockdowns or just a lack of experience in hanging out or all of the above. But I'm afraid that the crisis of loneliness and this difficulty we're talking about actually isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Especially for our youngest generations. It is a reality that we are going to be living with for a long time. Which brings us to the church. Do you know that in an era of isolation and loneliness, what we do on Sunday mornings, like right now, uh, when, or when we gather in homes for community groups or Bible studies or we go to different men's and women's events or church parties, do you know that when we do those things, it is vital? Um, not just because we want you to go to those things as pastors, we do, but it's vital uh, gathering together and being in community with each other might be one of the most important things we do as a church, given the reality of loneliness and isolation in our society. Because what we are doing, what you're doing right now on Sunday morning is incredibly countercultural. Like radically countercultural. 
I mean, where else can you go weekly and gather with 100 plus people you sort of know or at least recognize and you can meet them? Like, where else can you go? The bar? I don't even think you can go to the bar and do that. It's not cheers anymore where everybody knows your name, right? The church of Jesus Christ is one of the last spaces like that left in the modern world. The church, better than the bar. There's a slogan for you. <laughs> but you know, think about the death of moose lodges or fraternal orders. Like The church is really one of the last places where you can do that. So being here and being involved is actually vital kingdom work. And again, I'm not saying that just so you show up to things that we have great attendance. That, that's not why I'm saying that. But it's vital kingdom work given the cultural situation that we live in. And we, uh, we talk a lot about the importance of community or the church being a family. And you've probably heard those phrases here on Sunday mornings. But we also have a calling to not just be in community with one another, not just to be a family, but to actually to be friends with one another. An open group of friends that welcomes others who are desperate for friendship. The church is to be a community of friends, not a clique. A community of friends. And so it is incredibly important, not just for our own well-being, but also for the world's well-being and for our neighbors' well-being to pursue this. And I'm confident I can say that because we worship a God who is in his very being and nature a group of friends. You say, what? What are you talking about? Our God is triune, right? The, The Trinity in unity, unity in Trinity. God is Father from all eternity, the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is who God is in his very nature. There are not three gods, there is one God. And yet, in God's very being, there is a trinity of love for one another, for each person, like their very own souls, like David and Jonathan's love. The Trinity is a group of friends. God himself is a group of friends at his very nature. And our God is also a God who delights in friendship with his people, right? If you go back to the very early pages of Scripture, Genesis tells us that God would take walks in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, He wasn't just sitting on a throne expecting them to bow down and worship him. He would take walks with them in the garden. Abraham was called a friend of God. Exodus says that when the Lord used to speak with Moses, he spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The Lord Jesus, this God in the flesh, was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He sought out those who he had nothing in common with, those who were different from him in all kinds of ways, whether they be fishermen or tax collectors or prostitutes or religious zealots, old, young, and even backstabbers. And he gathered them as friends. And Jesus told these friends, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if, I do what, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Christian, Jesus has called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus has made you and I his friends. 
but it cost him. This is an ancient, ancient picture, the friendship of Christ. But this friendship cost him, didn't it? He risked everything to have you and me, even though you and I really aren't that great of people. Just speaking for myself, not really a great friend, uh, especially of Christ. But the hymn, Come Thou Fount, goes like this. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the throne of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. And Paul puts it this way. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, God, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Christ laid down his life for his friends. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not just a disciple. You're not just a servant. You're not just a sinner. All those things are true. But you are also a friend of God. He welcomes you with open arms. He has made a covenant with you that he will not turn away from. Uh, David writes in Psalm 25, verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. And like Jonathan and the father in the story of the prodigal son, God has put on you the robe of acceptance. He's made you part of his household. And so if we are friends of God and God is friendship at the very core of his being, then we ought to be seeking deep friendships with each other. This is like a spillover of what we already have. So how do you do that? Um, Jenny Allen in her book, Find Your People, has some great practical suggestions. I'm just going to read a list of these here. Um, you might have your own ideas, but just how do, what does it look like to embrace friendship? Um, you could buy a fire pit and invite people over. You could invite someone to run errands with you. You could introduce yourself to people you make small talk with at the coffee shop or the grocery store, like let them know your name. You could go up to people sitting alone at church and invite them out to lunch. You could call someone instead of texting them, like a phone call. Remember that? Call them up. Um, you could let someone know that you like them as a person. Just say, hey, just want to let you know I like you. I think you're great. You're a good guy. Good lady. I don't usually say that to people, but whatever, whatever you say. Um, you could leave your phone in the car the next time you meet with someone. You could ask someone for advice. You could ask someone to pray for you. You could answer honestly when you're asked, how are you doing? Actually, I'm not doing so well today. Or as we say during the greeting time, try to meet someone new at church and get together with them. Just some little things. Little things to think about. And maybe you can think of something even better to add to this list. But staying in cliques is not an option if our God is the God of friendship. All right, if he is the God who came to seek and save the lost, then we are to be about that as well. And if you're here and you're just kind of thinking about Christianity or exploring church or you're new to church and you're trying to struggle to fit in, um, first of all, you're, we welcome you. We're glad you're here um, keep coming back. Don't just ghost us. It, it takes time. Some of these things take time. But we do want to help you find friendship and community here. For real. The love and friendship that Jonathan has from David is just a taste of the incredible, boundary-transcending, unstoppable love God has for you in Christ. God the Father, remember, has brought you into his household. 
The Spirit of God is always with us. He's a friend who never leaves, no matter how often we leave him. Christ has befriended you with his never-ending, never-stopping, unbreaking, always and forever love, and he calls you and I friends. Oh, what a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. May the Lord give us some of that friendship toward one another. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us friends and being our friends. Lord, help us to know what that means more. So often we think of you as Lord or Master or King or God. But we often don't think about you as friend. And yet you say, you say to your disciples that I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Lord, help us to, to know your friendship even more. And to be ambassadors of that friendship toward one another. Make this place a group of friends even more. And help that friendship to spill out into our streets and neighborhoods. We pray in your mighty name. The name of Jesus Christ. The name that is above all name. The name of our friend. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.